Open your copy of God's Word, if you would, to First uh, John chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 through 21. A passage of Scripture where God declares where love is always guaranteed. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Hear now God's Word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must so love his brother. Clearly, this is a passage on love. It's not hard to figure out. Um, I have prepared my message for this morning on this chapter, and the more I read it, and the more I thought about it, because I was planning to kind of move on after this to chapter 5, I thought, goodness, I'm not even coming close to dealing with all that's in this passage. So I think I'll, I'll do at least one more week on, on this passage. I won't rap, say everything that's in the passage this morning, and then even the next sermon won't cover it all as well. There's, this passage is deep, but it's, it's important. It's a passage about love. It's a passage that um, uh, we need desperately. <clears throat> I wanted to hit the main points. It reminded me, first of all, of a, a good country song. I bet uh, even if you're not a country singer, you, you've heard it. It's a, it's a song by Mark Chestnut. And uh, if I could sing like him, I would, I'd do it for you, but I'm not going to do it. All right, the song is, there's just a phrase in it. The first time I heard this phrase, I thought, that's philosophical, that's a philosophical gem. You know, that's something that'll preach. That's something that'll teach. Uh, and it's just one of those snippets that as soon as you hear it, you all agree. Yep, I agree. That's, that's profound. We ought to say that more. The phrase is this, Mark Chestnut in his song, I don't think he wrote it, but he sung it. Uh, it says, it's so easy to not care about right or wrong when it's too hot to fish and it's too hot for golf and it's too cold at home. That's profound. 
It's too easy not to care about what's right or what's wrong. When it's too hot to fish, it's too hot to golf, and it's too cold at home. The things we love, whether it's golfing, fishing, or your spouse, if those are off the table, if love's off the table, it's too easy not to care. I don't know what I care about if I don't have love. Love is crucial. And we all know that most of us at some time and most of the world spends their lives looking for love in all the wrong places. We've got to have love. We've got to have love whether it's in fishing, whether it's in golf, whether it's with our spouse. We have got to have love. Where's love guaranteed? Where can we find love? We pursue many things for love. We know we got to have it. Life seems meaningless without it. And this passage makes it easy to find love. God commands love. First of all, we know in this passage, God's love says that several times. It's part of his character. God is love. You can find love in God. He's the source of love, spring of love, fountain of love, however you want to say it. Go to God for love. But he also says you can find love in his church because he puts it there. And he commands it. The two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christ commands love. He says you can't go through this life without it. He commands that we demonstrate love. Where is it guaranteed? I want us to see. It is guaranteed in Christ's character. And it's guaranteed in Christ's church. Now, immediately you begin to think, well, then the church, really, I've been hurt by the church. The church needs to always be getting back to love. A mark of the church has to be love. Love is found in the church. The church is imperfect because we're all imperfect sinners. Get that? We all understand it. Doesn't negate the fact that love is guaranteed there. It will be there because Christ is there and Christ's character there is love. So those are two places it's guaranteed. Let's, let's look at those just briefly. Verse 7. Love in the character of God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Circle, it's from God. Where do you find love? From God. Satan will always try to take you somewhere else. It's from God. Circle it. Know it. Believe it. Put faith in it. You can, you're guaranteed to always Find love from God. We don't have to ever wonder about the source of love. It comes from God. Um, it's essential to his character. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It didn't say love is God. That would be idolatry. But God is love. It is essential to God's being. To be a loving God. Um, I think about uh, stuff that's essential. Um, uh, yesterday, I had a uh, little bit of leftover steak and potato. 
I personally believe God invented potatoes and corn for one purpose, and that is to hold butter and salt. <laughs> the potato and the corn, their essential ingredient is not butter and salt. They just hold it. In other words, it's added. I like to add probably more than any of the rest of you. But I add it. But what's essential to the potato? Not butter or salt. I don't know what it is. Some white pigment. I like the Irish potatoes. I don't, but that's what's essential to the potato. It would cease to be a potato if it didn't have that, that white pigment or whatever it is. It wouldn't cease to be a potato if it didn't have butter or salt. You understand the difference? God is love. It is essential to His being. It's not something added to Him that you can take away. Or you can find Him one day without it. It is essential to who He is. To possess love. He's a loving God. It's not like some of us, sometimes we add love to our, our lives. God doesn't do that. It's not a flavor for Him. God is love. It's essential to His being, to His character, to who He is. You will never find God without that being part of His character. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in His character. In His holiness, justice, goodness is where love is found. Power is truth. It's essential to who God is to be a loving God. Uh, verse 8, uh, verse 16. We've read verse 8. Let's read verse 16. Again, it says there, uh, God is... I skipped into the middle. So we have come to know Him and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. You see that essential makeup. Um, we've seen other essential qualities of God. In chapter 1, God is light. God is spirit. Chapter 4 of John. God is love. He's, like I said, love's not God. That's not all He is. But it's essential to His nature. It's essential to who He is. Now, when you study theologians and you ask, well, let's discuss the loving nature of God. It's part of who He is. How is that manifest? And they usually come up in th with three ways. And the ways are um, words that we don't use as much anymore. They talk about the, the benevolence of God and the beneficence of God and the complacency of God. And I'd have to spend the rest of the time explaining those words. So let's don't do it. Let's just don't go there. Uh, it's essential to the nature of God. I want you to see, first of all, it's essential to uh, God as the creator, okay? If you create something, and it's marvelous, and it's wonderful, you usually kind of step back and say, hmm, that's pretty good, yeah. Well, God does that. God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he has a love for his creation. Look at Psalm 115. Verse 12 through 15. Psalm 115. God's love as the creator. 
Beginning verse 12. Psalm 115, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. So it brings us back to his creation. God created heaven and earth but he also created Israel, and he created Aaron, and he created the church. And as you start, men, women, boys, girls, children, as, as, as you look into what the context there is saying is, so he will bless. He will love. He has to love. It's his creation. And he's not going to abandon the good work he's done in his creation. So God loves us on that level. We are part of his creation. He bumps it up a level when you get to his character of being a redeemer and redeeming his people. And in that regard, he loves us on a higher level um, than well, even before that. Before we get up to redeem status, we get up to distinction between animals and image bearers. Okay? God creates all of heaven and earth. But in that creation, he says on the sixth day, let me create man and let's make man, male and female, after our image. And he makes a distinction between us and the rest of creation. So I'm, I'm going to create a being that bears my image. And that's distinct. And it's far superior than all the other animals and birds and bees and whatever. And for that part of creation, there's another level of love. There's this general love for all creation. Then there's this love for image bearers. I'll, I'll give you a passage. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45. Matthew 5. Forty-four and forty-five. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And his language there is, God does something for mankind that's special. He gives rain and he gives sunshine, whether they're good or evil. And the reason he does this is because they're image bearers. They're his. Bearers of his glory, his image, his who he is on earth. And that's unique. And he wants us to realize that's significant. Because that significance is you should love, I should love them too. And I've tried to hammered at home many, 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 many times. Not only should we love one another because when we look at someone, we have to see this is someone that God took special time to create. It's His creation. He wove each of us in our mother's womb. It, took a, it was a nine-month process that only God can see. And He went to that kind of extreme care for us. Because we bear his image. 
love that. He loves all of creation. He loves his image bearers on a higher degree. And then those that are his, bear his image that he redeems, it takes it up even a third notch to the superlative degree that he loves those that he's redeemed even in a more significant way. And that's what John's talking about. That's the church. Those who are redeemed. Those who are genuinely in Christ. And I call that the specific calling of God. Uh, the old timers, the Puritans would have called it the complacency of God. But, but think about being called out of darkness into light. Being called out of, of the world of sin into the holiness of Christ. Out of the world into the church. If you've received that calling, you've received a very special love of God that the rest of the world doesn't know. It's a higher love. It's, you know, we can create an analogy like marriage that there's a love between a husband and a wife. The rest of the world says no. It's just y'all's. You know it. You've been called to be one. And that oneness creates a, a love that's, that's, that's significantly unique and higher and sweeter and better. And we have that oneness in Christ. A couple of passages. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. It says, For, for you've died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Verse 10, same passage, says, And, have, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. And there is not Greek... And Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. But Christ is all and in all. Uh, there's just this description here of, of being in Christ. And in Christ, there's a delight. There's a redeemed delight that surpasses everything. We saw it over in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, where John stops and says, Behold how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called His children. It's like, whoa. Just stop and, and, and contemplate that. How great a love the Father has given to us. Not this creation love. Not this image bearer love. But how great a love God has called us to. That we should be called His sons and daughters and inherit all that Christ has purchased. Where is love found? Love is found in God. God is love. And you and I who are believers in Christ... We get it to the third degree. We get to experience it in a superlative realm. Not just as creatures. 
not just as image bearers, but as sons and daughters of the living God. We are most to be pitied and the most fools to be looking for love in some other place. Because we have been given the love of God. And we've been given access to, through Christ to receive it day in and day out whenever we want it. He never stops loving us. And He invites us to come to Him and receive over and over this abundance of love He has for us. He even gives us, and I've already preached on it in Romans chapter 8, says, what in the world do you think could separate us from the love of God? That ain't happening. He says, if I have given up my own son for you, I will never stop loving you. Never. You can always find love in me. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Take the time today, whatever it takes, to just reflect upon the amazing love God has for us. If you have love, if I have love, where do we get it? We got it from God. That's the only place it comes from. God put it into His creation. The sense that someone, some being, took the time to create me. To love me into existence. It wasn't some accident, some big bang. It was a divine creator with much thought brought me into being and then those of us who are humans we say and not only that on us he stamped his own image giving him much more than intellect but giving us his spirit giving us the the ability to perceive him far above all the rest of creation if we have love where did we get it we got it from god and if we had this superlative love where did we get it we got it from God through Christ who has redeemed us. Where's God? Where's love found? It is found in God. Now, we're all hostile. We're all born into this world as sinners. We're all mean. We're all born into this world screaming and crying and fighting for our own selfish pursuits, whether we're parents, whether we're friends, whether we're children. We fight, we're mean, we war. Where do we find love? From God. He provides it. It's coming back to Him as our Creator, coming back to Him as our image, coming back to Him as our Redeemer. That's where we find love. We worship God for every aspect of love. It comes from Him. That's why we gather. Seeking it elsewhere is just foolish. We need love. If you need love... Practical. Your daughter comes to you and says, I don't know where I can find somebody that loves me. Your son comes to you, I don't know where I can find somebody that loves me. College person comes, I don't know where I can find somebody that loves me. The divorcee, I don't know where I can now find somebody that loves me. What's the answer? It's not trite. The answer is God. Only God loves you. As you need to be loved. The source of love 
is God. Go back to God. Don't be looking for love in wrong places. It's in God. God can provide the creatures. God can provide the friends. But it starts with God. And we must be a people that constantly sees beloved love is from God. And whoever has love gets it from God. Now, if I want groceries, I don't go to the auto parts store. If I want auto parts, I don't go to the grocery store. If I want love, don't go to the wrong places. Let's quit it. Let's be the light of the world. If I want love, I go to God. Because God is love. Second place, love is found. It's not only found in God, but it's found in the church of God. That would make sense. Sometimes we get thrown off of that course. But there is a place on earth where God inhabits. And that is His body, His church. It's difficult for some of us to grasp because of the hurt we've experienced. But church cannot exist without the love of God. He's commanded it. It's in His church. If we're in a church that has not the love of God, it's not a true church. God's love is in His church. Beloved, verse 7, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So those who are born of God are in His church. Verse 21, summary of all of this section. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must, see it's not optional, must also love His brother. The church exists as a loving entity, loving one another. Um, it's the natural in outcome of who we are. Let me read these verses again as you think about it from this context. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. So we're living through His love. It's manifest in us. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's going to happen. Verse 12, no one who's ever seen God, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected. In love. There's a sense in which in the church there's a perfection of love. It's not just a re reception of it on a higher level from God, but there's a perfection among us on a higher level than the world can experience because we are the church of God. How do we give it? Get it. It's given to us by His Spirit. Verse 13 By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Because He's given us His Spirit. It's the Spirit of love. You know genuine believers, they have the Spirit of God. In them, convicting them of the truth of God. Providing the fruits of the Spirit. You can judge a tree by its fruit. First fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's 
first fruit. Some people say it's the summary of all the fruits. You can't have the Spirit of God and not have the love of God. It's part of the fruit of that Spirit. Uh, so we testify about it, verse 14 and 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. And He in God. We testify that Christ has redeemed us, saved us, given us His love. That's something we do because the Spirit is in us. Um, and this love in us is eternal. It's not here and there. Uh, verse 16 uh, shares that. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. You can't get rid of it. God is love and God's in you. You're in God. That unity is so tight. That oneness is so tight. The love of God is in us. And it's in us. And it lives through us. Um, What do you do then with the Christian who hates his brother? It's bottom line, isn't it? Say, love's in the church, but I know somebody in the church who doesn't love me. And I know somebody in the church that I don't love. So what do we do with that? That's why he brings up verse 20. Um, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, this is what you do with him. You put him into the category of liar. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. Wow. No wishy-washy there. No, not sure about it. Nope. God seems pretty sure. That seems pretty absolute. Somebody who says they love God but they don't love their brother, liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? Something wrong. Doesn't mean you, you haven't had those moments or those times, but if you persist in a lifestyle, a habit, a pattern of not loving someone who claims to be brother and sister in Christ, you are a liar. You're not a Christian. Because the Spirit would not be in you and allow that to happen. The fruit of the Spirit's love. The Spirit in you, God in you, will not be contrary to His character. It's part of His essential being. And if God's essential being is united with us, it must flow through us. It cannot not be in us. If that were the case, somebody is lying. And that's the whole point. Um, he brings up the interesting question, who's harder to love, God or people? Who's harder to love? I think God's easy to love. If you were to ask me, what, how should I spend my life? Should I spend my life? Matter of fact, I asked this question to Ben Hayden one time. I don't know if any of you remember him as a famous evangelist in Chattanooga. Uh, 30, 40 years at First Presbyterian Church there. If you've ever watched his um, television show or uh, radio show, it's called Change Lives. And I happened to be in a conference one day, uh, and 
I just got into lunch line, you know, or material line. I forget what it was. I was picking up something. And the guy in front of me, I noticed, you know, he had his typical gray suit and tie. He was a lawyer before he was a preacher. He's always dressed up. And he was sitting there. I said, punch my friend. Ben Hayden? Yeah, that's Ben. Ben Hayden? I said, this guy's won millions of people to Christ. And so I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Ben Hayden? Yeah, that's me. And I said, can I ask you one question? He said, sure, go ahead, we've got time. And I said, I've watched your show, seen millions come to Christ. What's the first thing you teach them after they come to Christ? Just interesting. What, what do you provide for these follow-up, for all these people that come to Christ? And he says, well, I... He said, I determined a long time ago, God was easy to love. He said, so I don't teach him how to love God. God's perfect in all his ways. He said, he's easy to love. He said, I spend all of my follow-up stuff on teaching them how to love one another. Because people are hard to love. I never forgot that. I'm not sure that's the right answer. But anyway, I didn't forget it. Now you get to this passage of Scripture. And it says... Verse 19, uh, or 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, who's, who's harder to love, God or people? Um, you say you love God, that's easy, that's what I'm saying. But you don't love people. I think God's taking it the other way. You don't love a person you can see, and yet you say you love a person you can't see. What's really harder? I think God's putting it the other way. It's harder to love someone you can't see. If you don't love the person you can see, the person right in front of you, why should I believe you can love the person you can't see? You're in a fantasy world. If you can not love the person you see, but you say, well, I know I'll be able to love God, though. You haven't seen God. You don't know what that experience is really going to be like. God says, if you can't love the person you can see, the person who is physically present in front of you, he says, then you can't love me. He puts a priority on one another. This is where we live. This is who we are. This is who's in front of me. I must love these people. And if I can't love you, and you can't love me, God says, well, then you can't love God. Your priorities are all out of whack. I want you to be my people in love with one another. John 13, 34, and 35. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples because of the love you have for one another. The people you see, the people you know, the people you do life with. Love will be found in my church. My people will be known for loving one another. They won't be in some fantasy world saying, well, yeah, I have a hard time loving those people, but I love God. God said, no, that's not going to be the case. My people will be known. For how they love one another. 
So we have to wrestle with that. If all we needed was love, we'd find it in two places. We'd find it with God. And we'd find it in His church. It was a funny story. Maybe it's shouldn't jump there, but man went to the doctor and uh, take his wife, and his wife was dying. Had her checked out, and the doctor said, "Let me talk to you privately." So he got the husband off to the side and said, uh, "I only give your wife two to three weeks to live in her present condition." He said, "Well, doctor, what's wrong?" He said, she's got an acute case of anemia, and the stress levels are so high, it's going to kill her. Well, is there anything we can do? The doctor said, oh, yeah, there's something you could do. But if you don't do it, she's going to die. He says, okay, what is it? He said, well, uh, when you come home, you need to let her spend some time on the couch, and you need to take care of the kids. And you need to think about folding the laundry. And you need to think about putting the kids in the bath and in the bed. Especially on Sunday seems to be a stressful day for her. All of these kind of things need to happen. You need to get the kids ready for church and take them through the routines. You just are going to have to give your wife a break or she's going to die. And the, the husband says, okay, well, who's going to tell her, you or me? He said, well, I think it would be good if you told her. He says, all right, so went into the patient room. There's his wife. He says, she says, oh man, your face is down. It must be bad. He says, yeah, you're going to die within three weeks if, if, if something doesn't happen. And she says, well, what do I have? He says, well, you've got an acute case of anemia and you're going to die. And that was the end of the story. Because we don't want to sacrifice to love. Do we? We want people to love us. And God says, no, it's not going to be that way. If you can't love the person you see, you don't love God. I remember the story, page 88, 89, 88, 89, 90. If you've ever read the book, uh, Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley, great book for you men if you haven't read it. Four men went on an Alaskan ice fishing, Alaskan uh, ice fishing kind of trip in a seaplane. Actually, it was three adults and one son. And they're in this seaplane, landed somewhere in Alaska area, plane landed on the, the ocean uh, in shallow water. They got out, put, put on their waders, got out, started fishing. The fish were just jumping on the hooks. Best time of their life. Turned around after they got through fishing and noticed the seaplane, the, the tides there fluctuate 23 feet a day. The plane was now sitting on the shore. And it's a seaplane, so it can't take off until it has water again. So they decided to cook some of the fish they had caught, packed up everything, slept in the plane that night. When they got up the next morning, the plane was floating. They said, all right, good. So they got everything together and they took off. 
as they were taking off, the pilot, one of the three men, realized that one of the pontoons obviously had punctured and it had taken on water. So instead of the plane taking off smoothly, it's now like this, and he couldn't get it right, and soon it started spinning and it capsized. And as it capsized, the men uh, said, well, where's the emergency equipment? Rental plane, there was no emergency equipment. And so they took their waders and they tied them off and blew them up to make some sort of flotation device. And they all jumped into the water to swim to shore. What they didn't realize was the riptide was so strong and was pushing everything out into the Alaskan Sea. And so as they were swimming, they were good swimmers. The son, 12-year-old son, was not strong enough, didn't have the body mass to make that. His father grabbed him and tried to, he was a strong swimmer, you know, he's trying to, to pull his son and him to shore. And the riptide was just so strong, he couldn't do it. So at some point he realized he just had to give up. And he got his waders around him and he held his son. And they floated off into the Alaskan Sea. Their bodies were never found. So the other two men had to tell the story. They made it to shore and they looked back and saw their buddy and his son just floating away into the Alaskan Sea. When the rescue crew finally came, they said hypothermia would have uh, got the man, man and his son within an hour. Son would have fallen asleep because of his body mass much sooner than dad. But that man, though he was strong enough to reach shore, he felt it better to embrace his son and to love his son, to lay down his life for his son. Jesus has already said, I've laid down my life for you. I've proven my love for you. You are to lay down your lives for each other. You're to hug each other. You're to love each other to death. How can you say you love God if you don't love each other? Let us give ourselves for one another. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. And you love us. Forgive us for the hypocrisy. Forgive us for wanting to be God and right and stubborn and foolish. Let love be in our hearts. Spread abroad your love, O oh Lord, in our hearts, the love of Christ. Let it be in us that others may see your love and your glory. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.